We're glad you're with us this morning. If you're visiting, my name's Mark and I'm one of the ministers. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to be looking at a passage beginning in verse 25 here in just a moment. Uh, but first of all, I'd like to uh, welcome our college students back uh, to Christ Church of Orinoga. We missed you this summer. Welcome home. And want to tell you, there's a, a few things I know. Uh, I had the opportunity to teach at a Christian college for about 16 years, and uh, I learned there's three things that every college student likes. Free tuition. Parents, can I have an amen? Free tuition. Uh, free laundry. And free food. Well, this church will take care of one of those for you. And no, it's not free tuition. Nice try. It's going to be free food. So if you're visiting uh, today, especially if this is your first time at Christ uh, Church of Oronoga, we want you to know that after our third hour, after our 1115 worship service, over in the student center, we'll serve lunch for all of our college students. Uh, it's free. Just come bring your friends. Uh, it's a free meal. You'll get a chance uh, to hang out, meet some students from Pitt State, Missouri Southern, Crowder, uh, Ozark. A uh, lot of opportunities to meet, to develop community. Uh, most of all, a free meal and a chance just to hang out. And we encourage you uh, to feel welcome. This is your invitation. So you receive it today and you can come anytime you're in town uh, and you want to be a part of that. We encourage you to be there for that. Uh, second piece of family business I want to bring up is uh, beginning uh, on September 7th, we're going to begin a new series of sermons called Corrective Lenses. Uh, in all actuality, I want to tell you why this is a unique series. What's going on Wednesday night will corroborate what's going on Sunday morning. Uh, on September 3rd, in this room, we're going to hold a class that is going to coincide with what's being used on stage Sunday morning. We're going to introduce topics like in a world where we're hearing differing voices. The world's telling us that you're created for this, and the Bible says you're created for this. The world says the purpose of man is this. The Bible says it's this. The world says sexuality is about this. The Bible says this. And like putting on some contact lenses or some eyeglasses that correct your vision and show you the way things ought to look, we're going to be doing a series for the months of September and October. And I say this most every year, and I know sometimes people come back and say, well, I can't, I can't, we understand. But of all the important things you can do on Wednesday nights, nothing will be as important as you being with us in September and October to put on some lenses and to see what the Word of God says compared to what the world is teaching us each and every day. On September 3rd, Wednesday, September 3rd, we'll begin the conversation about this series, and then whatever's preached on Sunday will be echoed on Wednesday night to a deeper level. For, like, for instance, when we talk about love and sexuality, what the world says compared to what the Bible says, uh, you can't do that in 28 minutes. But if you follow that up on Wednesday night with 70 minutes, and I bring in some real smart people from around the community who have studied this and teach this at the collegiate level, I think it'll be a benefit for you to make a priority in September and October. Now, for those of you that can't be here, and we realize that sometimes your work and situations take you away from being here Wednesday. Everything that takes place on this stage Wednesday night will be available through iTunes and on our website. So if you miss a night, you can study it and watch it for yourself. And I appreciate uh, our, our tech guys putting that together for us. But we really want to encourage you. Corrective Lenses is going to be, I've been teasing the elders, it could thin this church out pretty well. <laughs> or it could grow it stronger. And I'm going to pray that it grows us all stronger. So I hope you'll be a part of that, and if not, that you'll be online checking it out because we're going to open the Word of God and we're going to put a reflection back on this world and see it the way it really is. Have you ever read a book, seen a movie, or gone to an art studio and been clueless? Have you ever had the experience of reading something that everybody says you ought to read 
and when you're done, you're like, what? Have you ever seen a movie? And everyone around you is high-fiving and tearing up and, and talking and tweeting about how awesome it is, and you walk out going, man, I want that 10 bucks back. I had no clue what that movie was about. Uh, when I was teaching at the Bible college, uh, I said to the lit professor, give me five books I need to read. And the first book off his lips was the same one the president of the college told me I needed to read, The Brothers Karamazov. It's like 10,000 pages. I spent six weeks of my life grinding through that book and got to the end and was absolutely furious. I had no clue what it was about. And I, and I didn't feel bad. The author obviously knew what he was writing. And the literary geniuses say it's one of the greatest books. Now, I was mad at me because I didn't get it. I've seen movies. In fact, I asked some friends. We were sitting around this summer. I said, name a movie that everybody loved that you didn't get. Here's some of the names I was given. The Matrix. The Butterfly Effect. Vanilla Sky. Shutter Island. Inception. I'd like to add mine to that. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I've watched that every year since I was eight. I have no idea what that weird thing's about. So, what do you do when you see a movie, you see a piece of art? Have you ever gone into an art studio and you look at something and they're like, what is that? And you're like, that's, that's beautiful. That's the excuse for I have no idea what that thing is. It's twisted metal is what it is. What do you do when you read a book, you see a movie, or you see a piece of art and you don't understand what it's trying to say. The only reasonable, well, what we normally do is we act like we know what it's about. Or we, we just talk around it. But actually, the best method when you don't have understanding is go to the creator, right? Talk to the author. What were you trying to do with that movie? What was that film about? What is the director trying to do? That's why I like DVDs that give you director cuts. That you can hear them talk about what they were doing with the scene. And I just become enlightened. Like, oh yeah, if I were smart, I'd have seen that. But I experience it. What do you do when you go through a day, a week, a month, a season of your life, and you don't know why you're doing it? Most of us make up an excuse. Most of us feign intelligence. I'm here to encourage you this morning. Ask the creator, the author, why you're here. Jesus gave us that answer. It's one of the reasons he came, was to disclose to us our purpose and our identity. I want to tell you, I want to take you where we've been since January as a church. There is a method to our madness. Back in January, we opened the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae. And when we studied through Colossians, the theme for that was enough. That no matter what you're facing, what Jesus came to do and who he is and what he brings to us is enough. And it gives us hope. And then we went from that series to a series entitled Keep the Words, where we looked at the revelation that John recorded, that God gave him a revelation, and John recorded it, and he sent it to the seven churches of Asia to encourage them. It's not a book about how this all ends. It's a book for them in that moment that encouraged them. And led by a Bible study that we went to, some friends of ours thought about what we learned in that Bible study was that there are some imperative verbs, bossy words in the revelation that all of us can live out. And those words we discovered were words like worship, repent, be faithful, come out, rejoice, and the list goes on and on. And we studied what it means to have confidence in God when we don't always know what's coming our way. Then we went to a series called God Is. And we looked at the characteristics and actions of our God. And for a period of six weeks, we encouraged ourselves with who we just sang about. This is the God we've waited for. 
And we talked about God's holiness, his presence, his love, his service, his supremacy, his sovereignty. And we just encouraged and lightened our hearts with, we have a God who's got this figured out even when we don't have him figured out. And then this summer, we did a series called Building on Hope, where we looked at the letter that Peter wrote, the first letter we have of his to the churches, and Peter encouraged us to hold on to the hope of the resurrection no matter what we face. So we have been looking all year long at what God has given us to be able to do what he asks us to do. And so today, to the church family here at Christ Church, and to those of you that are visiting, wondering if you could make this your home, I want to share with you that today we're going to talk about that God has not only given us all we need, but he's given us something to do with all he's given us. And a church, and I'm going to be a little bold in this morning when I say this, and some of you may disagree, and that's okay, we, we can talk about it. I'm not trying to be right, but I believe I am. That the church that gathers and does not call its people to the work of the church is not a New Testament gospel church. If all we do is bring you in on Sundays and inspire you and encourage you, but never challenge you to live out your faith, we're not doing the work of the gospel. And I want to be a church that does the work of the gospel. How about you? And so because of that, we want to hear what Jesus tells us. And there is a moment in his ministry where he reveals to us, when we don't know why we're here, he reveals to us why we're here. Begins in Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Jesus had been teaching. Contextually, Jesus had been teaching regularly, and the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes were gathered around, and they were hearing this young teacher teach, and they knew he was on to something, but he was different than them. And in that difference, they would take moments where they would challenge his teaching. And this is one of those moments. And he's being challenged by an expert of the law or a scribe. Now, their job was to truncate, to take all of the law of God and boil it down to some very practical moments so people knew how to live this out. And so they were experts at that. They were just, they kept bringing it together, bringing it together, tightening it up and coming up with these teachings. Now, this, this converted to Christianity, this Jewish rabbi that I read and listen to his teachings, uh, because it's interesting about the background information he gives, he said that these scribes would take the law of God and they would put them in two categories, weighty and light, heavy teachings and commands to keep, and the easier commands to keep. And then with each one of those two categories, they would break them down into ritual law or ethical law. And they had come up with 613 statutes, 365 prohibitions or don'ts. 365, one for every day of the year, and 248 commands that equaled the number of generations of men from Adam and Eve forward. And so this is how they would catalog and index the law of God. Just shake your head if that makes somewhat sense. In other words, this man who stood up to test Jesus, he knew the law like the back of his hand. He had studied it, trained, he had indexed it, he understood it, he could answer questions about what's a ritual law and what's a moral law, he could do all of these things. So when he stands up and he puts Jesus to the test, you have the wisdom of man going against the wisdom of God. Talk about corrective lenses. This is one of those moments. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, how do you read it? There is an intrigue here. This is one of those moments that I think if you're in the crowd, everyone's going, shh, listen, this is going to be good. You got this egghead going after God. And God says, egghead, what do you see? And he said, this is what I see. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus answers, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Wow. Sometimes the wisdom of man understands God. And then Luke records what happened. But he wanted to justify himself. Let's pause there for a moment. This is where we all end up. When the word of God comes into our word and we want to justify ourselves, our answer isn't amen. Our answer is, yeah, what about... You see, he said, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor like you love God. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do that and you'll find life. And the guy says, yeah, but... Wanting to justify himself, he says, and who is my neighbor? And it's really not who is my neighbor. He wasn't looking for a name, a zip code, an area code, or a school. He's asking, who should I love? Who am I required to love? Who is this neighbor that I'm supposed to be loving to? And in his question, he reveals the what about. He doesn't want to love just anybody, he wants to know who he has to love to be all right with God. And that's the heart of Jesus' story. And this is where Jesus answers the questions, why am I here? Why was I created by this artist? And what am I to do with that? Verse 30, Jesus replied to his question, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is the infamous bloody way. It's a 22-mile stretch of dark corners and alleys. It's a passage where people were mugged and beaten and robbed and taken advantage of the entirety because it was not policed and it was this dark passage. Every one of us has a certain street in our mind that you were taught as a kid not to go down. I know living in Michigan for 21 years that if anybody said there was a guy walking down 8 Mile in Detroit, we would all go, oh, dead man. If you said there was a girl riding her bike down Chapin Street in South Bend, Indiana after dark, all of us would go, somebody should have warned her. When Jesus said there was a man going down this passage of Scripture, I tend to believe that his audience would have grabbed on that, oh no, this isn't going to end well. And he's beaten. And he's beaten down to his last breath, and he is dying. Jesus is creating an image for us. But three men going down that same stretch, come upon him. One a priest, one the assistant to a priest, and one a heathen, half-breed outcast. Jesus has our attention. If you and I would write the story politically correct, the priest would have tended to his needs, the Levite would have come and helped the priest, and the Samaritan would have minded his business. But that's not Jesus' story. Jesus flips this all upside down when he says, no, it was the non-religious, half-breed outcast that stopped, got off his donkey, got down in the ditch, and ministered to this man's needs. You see, the purpose of Jesus' story is to say that loving God properly means loving people inconveniently. Did you guys catch that? Loving God properly means anytime, anywhere, or as we say around here, in the right here and in the right now. 
And I want to be careful because I don't want this morning to be an infomercial. But we have a ministry of reaching to people in our community we call Right Here, Right Now. And the reason we call it Right Here, Right Now is that is one of our core competencies as a believer is to understand that if you say, here's a good thing I ought to do and I'm going to try to get to that by next Thursday, I promise you the opportunity will be gone by the time next Thursday arrives. We all know, I need to write that person just a note and tell them thank you. I need to make a phone call today. And we say to ourselves, I can't get this done right now. And what do we do? We write it or we never write it and the opportunity's gone. But this Samaritan got off his donkey, went down in the ditch. And do you remember though, that he's by himself and he's going into the ditch where this man had been beaten and left for dead. How does he not know or how does he know that the criminals aren't waiting around the corner for him. There's an immense risk in Jesus' story, and that's the point of it, I think. So what I want to do is conclude this morning by teaching you what I learned from this very famous New Testament story. Our new life has a purpose, and others are our purpose. We are not here for us. Our culture is telling us each and every day that as long as you're rich, as long as you have enough, you're well-fed, you have security and safety, and you're enjoying life, and you have friends, that that's why you're here. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. We're here for other people. Our safety and security is going to be found on the other side of death. But we're here for others. That's why the man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo, you hit it. That's the correct answer. It's about God, and it's about you, and it's not about me. And when I get the God by loving you, I will find out who I am. That's what the artist and creator is telling us. So what does that look like? First of all, loving God and loving others is a right here, right now love. It's a right here. It's in the moment. It's with whatever you have available to you. We've studied all year long that God will give us what we need to do what he asks of us, and he already has. In Christ, he will give us all we need to do what we can. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil and wine, and he put on the man and on his donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra ministry or any extra expense that you may have. Whenever, whatever it took, this man decided he would give what he had in the moment to take care of the person. He showed love in the most awkward and threatening conditions. You see, when the priest and the Levite walked by, They had places to go and things to do. And if they would have stopped and helped the man, they would have violated their cleanliness. They would not have been able to do what they wanted to do. So it was inconvenient and they passed by. The Samaritan stopped and he took the responsibility on himself. It is a right here, right now, what's in front of you opportunity. Secondly, loving God and loving others is purposeful and moral love. You see, and I want you to understand that. It's purposeful. It's intentional. If you don't plan on loving people today, you won't. Do you know how much it is and just natural for us? Remember, you see little three and four-year-old and five-year-old people walking around, and they get some candy in their hands, and they see a friend. Maybe they're licking the sucker. What will they do to their friend? Want to lick? And all of us go, oh, that's so sweet. We were once sweet. What happened? Now it's like, no, no, germs, you know, and, and lawsuits, and so no, I'm not going to give my sucker. But you were born to give away what God has given you. 
it's, it's a part of the nature in us that's destroyed by sin when we become selfish and self-focused. And when this man responded to Jesus, when he said that it is to love God and love others, he was encapsulating the truth of the law. But Jesus told us that in John 13. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John would write this later. I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. What I love about John is John had one sermon. He wrote five books. Or no, actually he wrote six books in the New Testament. And they, history tells us that when John was an old, old man, well into his 90s, and close to death, the churches would gather with him and they would prop him up and they would ask him questions. And they would ask him questions like, John, tell us, you knew Jesus 60 years ago. You walked with him. You saw him die. What are we supposed to do? And John would say, love one another. The gospel of John, love one another. First, second, third John, love one another. The revelation, love Jesus, love one another. It's a simple message. Because Jesus' love is a moral love. It does the right thing. And it's a sacred love because it does it for God. You see, in Leviticus 19, chapter 1 and 2, and his audience would have picked this up, when the man said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he was quoting from Leviticus 18. And then it's defined what it means to do that. And then it says in Leviticus 19, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord God, your God, am holy. Now remember, the word holy does not mean perfect flawless. The word holy means set apart for something. It it means held out and held back for a greater purpose. So when God says to be holy like I am holy, don't give yourself to this world, but give yourself away. And then in Leviticus 19, it shows us what this looks like. Respect for authority that God puts in your life. Each of you must respect his mother and father. Provide for the poor and needy. Don't keep everything you grow or earn. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Deal honestly with one another. Do not steal, lie, deceive one another. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Honor your word. Do not swear falsely. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Care for the well-being of the challenged. Do not curse the deaf or put a blind uh, stumbling block in front of the blind. Live justly. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. Be hospitable to strangers and aliens. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. Love him as yourself. See, they knew that to be holy and to love God would mean to focus your attention on the injustice in your community and the poor and outcast. It's about others. It's not about us. So when he said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, Jesus said, you've answered correctly and they knew that to answer correctly meant to live correctly it meant to live for others so lastly loving God and loving others is communal love it's not a love about me it's not a love isolated from community we're to live out the love of God for those who love us and the love of God for our enemies we're to live out our love for justice We're to stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. For those, yes, there are people in our lives who are broken because they broke themselves. Granted, we still love them. And there are people who have done nothing wrong and they can't catch a break. We're to love them. 
We're to stand up for those like Jesus did who cannot stand up for themselves. That is what the church does. We gather here during the week. We gather in small groups. We study passages of scripture together. But it's not so that we can keep getting bigger and stronger in our faith. It's so that our faith will go out of the church. It's Sunday morning sets us up for Monday through forever. That we can minister and love. Because God's plan is simple. Through his church, his love will be made known. And so a church that does not call its people to go and love is a church that is missing its calling and is not presenting the gospel. This church is challenging itself to leave this place and to make a difference. I'd like you to watch this video. Right Here, Right Now is a ministry of Christ Church that exists to share the love and hope of Jesus with those in our local community. We do this by encouraging you to invest in the lives of your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers, and let us know when a financial need arises. Right Here, Right Now works very simply. We ask everyone that attends Christ Church on a Sunday morning to give a $1 bill. We collect all these $1 bills, and that's the money we use to meet these financial needs. God led us to begin this ministry in 2010 after seeing the way that some other churches around the country were reaching out to those in their local community. We wanted to provide you an opportunity to bridge the gap between the church and those in our local community who were in need. On September 19, 2010, we took up our first offering and began accepting requests. The response was overwhelming. We knew that God had big plans for this ministry. Since then, we've seen God work in so many incredible ways. We've seen lives transformed, families reunited, and the kingdom advance. In the last four years, Right Here Right Now has been able to help over 800 families who are in financial crisis. More important than the funds that were given is the hope of Christ that was shared with every one of these people. But now God is leading us to expand and evolve this ministry. We've seen him do incredible things over the last four years, and we're excited to see what plans he has for the future. We know there are people in our community that have needs that go beyond finances. There are widows who need their yard mowed. There are single moms who need a babysitter. There are people looking for a job that need help with interview skills. We also know that there are people in this church that can help with those things. We're ready to take right here, right now, a step further. In the same way that $2,001 bills can go a lot further than a single $1 bill, an entire church of people using their time and energy to reach out and serve the people around them can make an even bigger impact than us working alone. In addition to giving $1 every week, you now have the opportunity to become a part of our volunteer database, where you'll be contacted as requests for projects come in. To submit a request for financial or project assistance for someone you know, pick up a Right Here, Right Now card located in the main lobby right outside the worship center doors. To submit a request for financial assistance, grab a green card. For project assistance, grab a blue card. Once the card is completed, drop it in the box. You can fill out a request for either type of assistance on our website. Once you submit a request, it will be sent to the Right Here, Right Now committee a group of people committed to praying over and making decisions about each request. Once the committee finalizes their decisions, 
you'll be contacted and plans will be made for you to deliver the financial gift or for you to connect with the volunteers who will be helping with the project at hand. Your role as the requester doesn't end once you submit the form. You'll have the opportunity to be a part of delivering the financial gift, helping arrange volunteers, and most importantly, having a conversation with that person about the hope we have in Jesus. Right Here Right Now is not about proclaiming the name of Christ Church of Orinoco. It's about proclaiming the name of Jesus. It's about advancing His kingdom and offering healing to a hurting world. Join us as we take one step further in living on mission and advancing the kingdom. God laid it on our heart four years ago that there's a community that we live in, whether it's Neosho or Carl Junction over in Kansas, or we're just, we have so many of you that come from so many different places that there's a reason God has drawn us together. And it's not to congregate here on a Sunday morning. It's to go back and to be the light of Christ everywhere we go. So my question this morning to our church, will you look on your road for people in the ditches? Will you look to be the loving presence of Christ with those that surround you? Each and every day we go by, there are people that we can say, hey, my neighbor has this need. She's lost her job and, and she can't afford this. And we as a church come together and say, we, we just, I give $4 per week for the four in my family. And I put those $4 bills in the offering basket. And I know that those together are going to change things. They're going to make a difference. But then also someone needs their lawn cut. Someone has a home repair. There's so many of us that said, I'll do that. How do I get involved? Go out of the room today and go to the table where Maggie's standing with the Right Here, Right Now banner. Because Right Here, Right Now is not a program. It is a core value that we are to love our neighbor in the name of Jesus Christ so that they might know who Jesus is. There's so many opportunities around here we want to share with you. People ask us this time of year, how do I get involved in your church? We have an international student outreach, or as we often refer to around here, friendship families. We have students on our campuses in Missouri Southern and Pitt State, and we have students at Ozark and, and in the area that, that come from other countries. Imagine what that would be like to go to school in another country and to have no place to call home or to go on the weekends. And people in, in this church open their homes up and let, them, let the students come over and do laundry or, or just care for them and give them a place with a family that they can have a meal with and get to know folks. If you're interested in that, talk to Maggie out back. There's opportunities for you to join us in that. Just encouraging, serving, and loving students. We have foster and orphan care. This is one of the commands of God, is to care for the widows and the orphans, to make sure that family is provided and care is given. And there are so many families in our church that are looking into adopting so that they can raise people up to know the love of Christ and to serve in that way. And there's an opportunity coming up on November 9th as an information meeting, if you're curious about that ministry. Uh, Bright Futures is something that uh, I've been very encouraged to be involved in. Bright Futures is an opportunity uh, for us to take care of students who may go home on weekends and not have meals, or reading buddies, or tutors. And there are some of you that say, I could give an hour. You could go to a school, any one of the schools in the region. And I, I need to tell you this, coming from where I came from, northern Indiana to Michigan, to have the access to love people in the schools the way we do in this community is unheard of. Church, I think we ought to take advantage of it. We ought to love kids who aren't being loved. And not so we can get them to come to church. We can get them to know who Jesus Christ is by the way we treat them. 
So to go over and give an hour in the morning and help a student who doesn't read well, to, to learn to read and to receive that care and to just be an encouragement, there's opportunities all around. All the school districts in the area have Bright Futures programs. So no matter where you come from, you can make an investment. Touch one child's life with your love and watch the difference it'll make. And then ministry needs here at the church. I know a lot of people tell me when they come in here and I get to, to visit with them, they say, we come in here and man, it's just, there's so much going on. It, it takes volunteers to do that. And I'm not complaining. We have a great group of volunteers from the people who serve you communion and offering in this room to people that greet you to those guys that are standing out there on black asphalt all morning long on a thousand and eight degree day so that there are no fights in the parking lot, you bet. <laughs> to the people who care for this property, there are opportunities to make this your church. And so what we want to encourage you is on next, or this coming Wednesday night, August 27th, from 6.30 to 8.00, is an opportunity that if you want information or you want to become involved, it's just an open ministry night. And you can come and ask your questions. And let me give you this promise. I think I need to do this. We're never going to be a church that if you show up at an information meeting, we're going to make you give blood and sign your life away. You can come here, ask questions, and go home. You can take as long as you need to decide where you want to invest your ministry. But let it be crystal clear. If you don't have a ministry, you're not following Jesus correctly. We need to serve, to love, and to give. So church, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth the investment of your time, treasure, and talents? I say yes. He's the God we love, and he's called us to take that love and to spread it throughout this world. And that's what this church is going to do, because we belong to him, and that's what he wants. Let's stand together.